Hey folks, before this episode starts, I'd just like to say there's some content uh, involving things that happen in an emergency room and uh, medicine, and if you are at all squeamish or you have small children, this may not be the episode for you. Here we go. Hello and happy Thanksgiving. That was a little little snippet of uh, one of my favorite songs ever, uh, Heart of Gold by Neil Young from his Harvest album. I think it's a great album, great song for um, this time of year, Thanksgiving and um, you know, late autumn. I also think it's pretty apt theme song for this episode, a special Thanksgiving episode about uh nurses uh pretty much everybody i know has a friend or family member who's a nurse and i'm no different than any of them uh three of my really good friends from three distinct different times in my life have all ended up being nurses even though i don't think any of them started out that way and I don't really know what it was that made me think about this, but I was thinking of trying to do something special for Thanksgiving and also just, uh, realizing that, uh, you know, I've got some, I've got some special friends who do, uh, great stuff. Uh, and it's a real mix of, mix of sort of compassion and ambition. And I wanted to, uh, celebrate that. So what I've got coming up in this episode are three phone interviews uh, with three good friends of mine, all nurses. There is uh, the first is with Chip Tucker, who is an emergency room nurse in a level two trauma center. Uh, following that is uh, an interview with a really good friend of mine from my 20s, and his name is Chris Smith, and he is a... He is now a uh, communicable disease nurse specialist. And then I'm going to wrap it up with an interview with my friend Julie Palmer Hoffman. Uh, and she is a palliative care nurse practitioner and has just started out doing that. Um, so yeah, they're amazing people. I think you're going to enjoy these interviews. I'm going to start out with Chip. And please bear with it. The connection was horrible, but there's some real insights. Uh, guy, I've known the guy since I was six years old. Uh, so like the best of friends, we also are really good at talking over each other. But he, he shares some, uh, really, really interesting things about his life as a nurse, uh, how he got into it and what he plans to do next. So, uh, I'm going to let it roll now and, and here's Chip. Hello. Hello. Hey, Chip. Chip Tucker, how are you? Okay, I'm here. <laughs> Chip, you there? Are you there? Hey, can you hear me? I am, yep. Okay, great. I can. Okay. Well, hey, well, thanks for your time, man. I know it's early over there, so uh, thank you. No, it's all right. And, Not bad. And over there is uh, Mountain Rest, uh, South Carolina, yeah? That's correct. But you actually work in... Say it again? Uh, it said it's 9 a.m. 9 a.m. But you actually work in Georgia. 
I do. I work in Gainesville, Georgia. Okay. At Northeast Georgia Medical Center. Okay. And you are, what's your official title there, sir? I'm an emergency room nurse. Emergency room nurse. Level 2 Trauma Center. Wow. And you've been an ER nurse for a long time, haven't you? Um, almost eight years. Almost eight years. Were you, were you nursing, were you in the nursing profession before that? No, I actually was in a lot of different professions yeah. before that. I was a chef and a carpenter and, uh, yeah, yeah, I did yeah. lots of, lots yeah. of different things before I found nursing. So. Okay. Well, a little bit of backstory. You are also my oldest friend. Uh, thank you. Yeah, yeah. I've known you since I guess we were six, right? Yep. Went First to school grade. together, uh, all through elementary and I, I guess we really didn't have a middle school did we We just jumped to high school right uh, yeah and then uh yeah we both went on crazy adventures when we graduated high school and at some point you like you were just saying you know did a couple different jobs you did some studying and stuff and how did you find nursing i actually started um i moved to montana when i was 20 okay and I started working as an orderly uh-huh. in a hospital on an oncology floor. And I did that for almost two years, and the experience was so bad that I went to culinary school instead. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, and after I recovered from that, I went back. I, yeah, oncology is a rough area in medicine, so. Right, right. That was where I, where I started. I did, I went back to nursing school when my daughter was little, I think in, um, would have been about 2008. Okay, okay. And uh, what? Why you? What? What led you back to it, man? Mm. Probably. Um, when I first got to it, it was a need for a better employment. Sure, first yeah. of all, okay. Yeah, I needed better hours. I needed better money. Um. And after I started doing it, I realized it was something that I had always been destined to do. Okay. So. Always destined to do. Yeah. Yeah. Nurses aren't really made. Good ones, at least. You're kind of born that way. Okay. Well, what are, what are the qualities? What are the qualities you need to be a nurse? Oh, there are lots of different people who are nurses. I think. A profound sense of empathy is the first thing you need to be a nurse. Okay. Okay. And the need to uh, find fulfillment in helping other people is another. Okay. Only another strong, strong driving. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, I guess yeah, those are important. And um, how do you maintain that, man? Do you ever get jaded or just burn out? Oh, yeah. Oh yeah. Constantly. Yeah. The ER is uh, the ER I work in is very busy. We'll do three hundred and fifty patients in a day wow so and is that everything from like a sprained ankle to gunshots or what blinner to a A, decapitation anything a a decapitation wow oh yeah oh yeah all kinds yeah so you've got to sort of go in there you never know what's going to come through the door that's the the thing about the er yeah you got to be prepared for all and to be able to switch gears i guess is is pretty tough right going from like working with a little kid to somebody you may have three patients. One of them, there may be absolutely nothing wrong with them, and the other one has five different meds and is going to ICU. And you know, it's wow. a yeah. You, you definitely it, it, you have to kind of have ADD to work in an ER. All right, okay. If you're because you are 
are changing what you're focusing on every five minutes. I see. Okay, it's not something where it's, you know, on the floor you have the same three or four patients all night. So you got to be able to shake things off and, and, and change and it. It may change in 10 minutes. It may change in three hours. Wow. Okay. Right. And is that just something you learn on the floor, or you think your training helped you for the, with that? All nursing school does is teach you how to think like a nurse. You learn everything that you do in the job on the job. Okay, wow. So you, you learn the biology. You learn the anatomy. You learn the drugs in school. Because if I had known how hard it was going to be, I never would have done it. <laughs> oh, really? Wow. But you're in there for the long haul now? Yeah. Okay. And you... Yeah, yeah. I make a great living. I work three days a week, so... Wow, okay. I can't complain. Okay. And you... um Well, how long have you been in Gainesville? Um, I've been in Gainesville four years. Okay. This month, actually. And where were you working before that? Dalton at Hamilton Medical Center, which is another level two trauma okay. center. So Dalton's more northwest Georgia, Gainesville's more northeast Georgia. Exactly. Just a little outside Atlanta metro area, other, so. I guess. Say it again? Right. Yeah, I said they're directly parallel to each other. Oh, right. Okay. About yeah, two yeah. hours apart. I didn't realize that. Now, okay. I'm about 45 minutes north of Atlanta now. So we're the, we're, some days we're the busiest trauma center in Georgia. Some days we're the third busiest. So it just depends on what's going on. Is that just because of Number of people or other factors? The area that we cover, we are a 120-bed ER, and we serve 12 counties in Georgia, three in North Carolina, and one in South Carolina. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. So just – and there's a little bit of urban, a little bit of wilderness, uh, pretty much anything you can think of in that area, isn't there? Right. Yeah. Yeah, we get people they've rescued that have been out in the forest for five days. We get people, you know, that are – Find under a bridge in the city that have been, you know, I mean, it just changes completely. Okay, wow. And you're happy to stay as an ER nurse, or are you thinking about other options? Mm. Yeah, in the future there are other options. Oh, okay. All right. So okay. We're right All right. now, I'm going to stick with the ER nurse. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I just started looking at a uh, at a three year accelerated medicine program at Mercer. Oh, okay. And what would what would you do with so, something like that? Now that I'm an empty nester, that might be an option. Okay. Family medicine. Probably work in the ER as a physician. I see. All right. Okay. Wow. Wow, 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 wow. And, I mean, so you've been at this almost a decade. What, I mean, do you think you're a better person now? You were saying you need to be empathetic and you want to help people. Are, are, are you more empathetic now or less? More. Okay. Most definitely more. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, it opens your eyes to a lot of problems that you don't see when you're not involved in people's lives like that. Right, yeah. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. When you're in the hospital, everyone, it doesn't matter if you're rich, you're poor, you're black, you're white. When you're sitting in the bed, you're my patient. Right, yeah. Yeah, and I guess also in the ER, you are seeing everybody. Right. Yeah. Yep. Every single person. Yeah. <laughs> we, we all end up there at some point, maybe, yeah. Jeez, well, uh, what, just this week, I'm not gonna ask you to dig too far back, but just this past week or two, any extreme stories, anything that you're just like, whoa, what was that? Um, we had a guy come in, probably, it's been almost two weeks ago, uh -huh. who would not take his hat off. Okay. Um, his family said, you really need to get his hat off. <laughs> when they removed his hat, they realized that the top of his head was gone. Oh my god. So, and he had been, yeah, that's why he would not take his hat off. He had had um, 
some sort of cancer on the top of his head that had completely removed the skull plate and everything. His brain was exposed under his hat, and he had been that way for months. Whoa. Well, why, what, is that why he was in there? Yes. I mean, it finally got too bad for him, or it stunk? Did you say it stunk? Oh, yeah, it was terrible. Oh, my It was God. terrible. It wow. Smelled, I mean, it smelled like rotting flesh, a corpse. So, so yeah, what do you he, do? His wife was... Yeah. was uh, Okay. Oh, well, him, they, they took him to surgery. They repaired what they could, and he went to a nursing home. His wife died about two weeks later because he was the sole caregiver for his wife. Wow. Oh, my God. Yeah, man. We got her. Well, no, it was Sunday. So, yeah, about two weeks later. Oh, my God. So, wow. Well, <laughs> maybe we shouldn't end on that note. You got any uh, right. any, any happy endings for, for me? No, yeah. happy endings. People live. We yeah. save people. You know, that's the that's the part is when you you actually watch yourself bring someone back. Right. You know, yeah. that's the uh, that's probably the thing that keeps us going okay. is that you actually do sometimes get thanked and aren't treated. I actually had a lady a couple of weeks ago when I checked her in. She looked at her husband and she said, "You don't remember Chip? He's waited on me a couple of times." And I said, "Ma'am, I'm not a waiter." I'm your nurse. I've taken care of you a couple of times, but I have never waited on you. Yeah, I guess they don't tip you either, do I? Wow. <laughs> right? But that's how they treat you. They come there for turkey sandwiches and sodas. So. Right. Wow. Jeez. Okay. My goodness. Wow. All right, man. Well, Chip, let's catch up. I know there's a lot of stuff outside this interview you and I should catch up on, but I hope you're doing Definitely. well. And I really you too, appreci- sir. Yeah, thank you. And I appreciate your time, man. No problem. Have a good day, Christopher. Thanks. I'll call you back soon. Okay. Bye. Okay. Well, that was Chip Tucker talking about his work at a level two trauma center. And what's coming up now is a conversation with Chris Smith about his path in nursing and uh, public health in the state of Kentucky. Here it goes. Hey, Chris Smith, how are you? Great. Okay, well, thank you for your time. Um, yeah, <laughs> so funny. I, I think that's something I'm more and more aware of. You spend so much time with people trying to figure out when you're going to get together, then you realize, I can do it right now. You know, so <laughs> so thank you. Yeah. Absolutely. I'm, I'm really uh, uh, excited to be part of this. Thanks so much for Oh, asking. cool, okay. You're right, it is really fun how, like... Um, Often we miss the moment of now because we're trying to plan um, so effectively for the future, you know? Yeah. Well, I guess um, if I can jump right in here and we'll do a little background in a minute, but the uh, the now and the planning are two big parts of being a nurse, I guess, yeah? Yeah, absolutely. That's one of the things that they tell you in nursing school over and over again that you don't get until you actually start doing it. Um, you hear this, this phrase, time management, you know, and uh, you'll hear this nurse criticized because they have poor time management or this nurse praised because of it. And you don't um, you don't get it until you actually do it. And you don't get it in nursing school because nursing school is nothing like the career of nursing. All right. Um, I, yeah, I tell folks often that I that I took a two year program to learn how to take a single test, and then I went to nursing school my first day on the job. 
Okay, okay. And uh, so let's lead up to nursing school, but let's uh, let's establish how I know you. So we met in, I guess, the mid-90s. Yeah. University of Georgia. Uh, we both uh, were studying there, doing a lot of uh, crazy activism at the time and living in an even uh, crazier uh, house uh, with other activist friends. And um, at that time, I don't know, I mean... I had no idea you would you would end up being a nurse. Did did you? And maybe I just wasn't aware of that. No, absolutely not. It's it's something that that never occurred to me. Okay. Um, I I think that if you had told me then that I might end up being an EMT or a paramedic, I think I, that might have been more believable. Okay. Um, but nursing, absolutely not. It was never on my radar. Okay, so maybe an abridged version here, but. How, what led up to going to nursing school? So you live in Kentucky now. Let's let's establish that as well. I'm I'm calling you from yeah. London. Uh, right. You live in Kentucky now. Uh, where I'm in Lexington, Kentucky now. Okay, and you work in Lexington as well. That's right. Okay. Um, when I first moved to Kentucky, I lived a very rural existence. Okay. Um, this lived was on a farm. about what year? Um, this would have been uh, 1999 to 2000. Okay. Um, and I lived on a farm in a very remote Appalachian County with a very depressed economy and really wanted to devote most of my time to working on the farm and homesteading. Um, and to supplement that, I took a job taking care of mentally disabled adults in a bigger city, probably, oh, probably an hour away. Uh -huh. And that job, I worked a 40 hour straight through weekend shift um i slept there i went in at a certain time stayed in the house with the folks that i supported and then left 40 hours later and so that was my full paycheck and the job and then i spent the rest of my time on the farm so that was the first job that i had where i was taking care of people and it was basically just to fill the gap of living in a place with no economy whatsoever right um and it, I, I worked that job for a long time i was there for seven years and by the time that I left, I had more years in the field than even the president of the company. There was only one person in the whole organization that had any more experience in the field than I did because it was just so demanding and challenging and, and at times frustrating and just had a really high turnover rate. So I started thinking, well, what do I want to do that I can take the skills that I've learned from this job into something that's possibly more fulfilling and, and is a better career mm -hmm. so i chose ems went to i went to emt school and started working for the local ambulance service there in in rockcastle county kentucky okay um that was uh, right about the time that my wife katie finished nursing school and after a year on the trucks working ems um i started seeing all the injuries that all of my coworkers had and um, to be quite honest, I compared my paycheck and my hours to my wife's, and I saw that I was literally working twice as much and bringing home half as much money. Right. You say injuries. So what, like back injuries from having to lift people or? Yep. Okay. Yep. I had, I had two partners that I spent most of my time with, and both of them had two different blown discs in their backs and could name date, time, the patient and the situation where each one of them occurred. Mm. So it was pretty obvious that that back injuries were an, a sort of inevitable consequence right. of, of working that job. Wow. And it's not uncommon in nursing either, but it's not, it's not quite as prominent. Okay. Wow. Um, okay. But the main thing is I was just working so hard and making, making 
not too much more than minimum wage right. um, and having people's lives in my hand and, you know, developed a really, really sort of um, intense and unusual skill set that people's lives depend on and felt like I received very little recognition or support for it. I didn't even have uh, health insurance. Right. Oh, that's really? Not... Wow. That really? seems yeah. <clears throat> cruelly ironic. I don't know. Um, yes. She whiz. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. 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 So you did the EMS thing. Uh, you see your wife, Katie, doing um, it's a, a, another level of the same job in a way, but more reasonable time and, and certainly more reasonable pay. Absolutely. So you're like, hmm. And um, so, okay. So you decided to, to go to nursing school. Mm-hmm. Okay. And- um and it was, it was actually super challenging. You know, um, I'm sure you remember my, my academic career at the university of Georgia. Um, not, not being, uh, was that an oxymoron not, there? Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I, I did not receive uh, high marks or achieve a great deal of success at the university of Georgia. Um, I got a great and, education you know, though. Yeah, you did. You did great. No, well, well we both, I, we, well, we learned content. a lot outside the classroom. We've learned a lot Absolutely. outside the classroom. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, but you know, I, um, knew what I wanted to do and I had a goal on the end of it and I made A's and B's all the way through it and it mm. was incredibly challenging. There were plenty of classes that I took where I was more than happy with the B. Um, my my original nursing cohort. This is in Kentucky. Yeah, this was at Eastern Kentucky University. Okay. In Richmond. Okay. Um, and this was I only have an associate's degree, um, so this was like a, a four semester program. Hmm. Um, and usually, usually folks can't complete it in four semesters because it's for like eighteen to twenty credit hour semesters. And that's usually more of a load than people can handle. Usually it takes people not that uh, – a lot longer than the four semesters. But right. I had already had some of the prerequisites from my EMT training. So that sped me along a little bit. Did you feel like a mature um, student or were there people of sort of all ages and backgrounds studying to be nurses? I was in my, I was in my mid-30s. Yeah. There were people that were 10 years older than me. Okay. There were people that were um, close to 20 years younger than me. Okay. And everything in between. And their reasons for becoming nurses, everything, all along the spectrum as well, I guess. Um, you know, I think probably not. Hmm. I think you can say that there's a commonality to a lot of folks that want to become nurses. Um, people may have, you know, uh, selfless aspirations about it. Yeah. But ultimately, at the end of the day, we live in a state with a depressed economy. In general, and, and an aging an, population. Yes, okay. absolutely. Okay. And we live in a nation that's moving from um, an, an industrial or production economy into a service economy. Right. And honestly, healthcare is the one aspect of the service economy that, because of the aging population, appears stable. And I don't think if you took out of the 75 people that I started that program with, I don't think you could find anybody that would disagree with that statement. Okay. So you're just looking for a good job and a steady job. Yeah. Um, and then for me, I can say that, you know, I particularly was seeking something that I felt was right livelihood. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. I, I didn't, I didn't want to be making widgets. I didn't want to be making specifically environmentally destructive widgets of any kind, you know. 
And Which might have I been some of your other opportunities in a, in Kentucky, particularly Eastern Kentucky. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. We we have a um, it, you know the the last little bit of the fossil fuel economy is clinging tight to to both of this state and West Virginia. Yeah. Okay. All right. So yeah. Um. So you wanted to make a difference, I guess, and and actually be yeah. a positive force in people's lives. So you study, you you do the four semesters, you come out, um, find a job immediately, or how does that how does that work? Yeah, um, I was able to roll right into a job in the emergency room in uh, the hospital in Rockcastle County. Okay, which was um, the same county where my farm is. Um, I'd actually moved about fifteen miles away to Berea by this time, mm-hmm. um, but I knew people in the community, and it was the same county where I worked for the ambulance service as well. So I had that direct relationship. All those folks that worked in that ER were used to seeing me coming in and out of that ER with patients and even helping if we had somebody who was real critical, you know? Yeah. Okay, well. And trial by fire, you said you actually got your education on the job. So what was it like at first? Were you ready for it? Um, oh, absolutely not. I couldn't start an IV. I was so I was so bad at starting IVs that I thought I'd really chosen the wrong career. Really? Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, I, uh, ERs are historically, um, understaffed in general. I was given a weekend night shift. So this was Friday, Saturday, Sunday night, um, from seven at night till seven in the morning. And the staff had been one doctor and another very experienced nurse for, um, seeing about 30 patients a night. Okay, and this um, if it's a weekend like anywhere else, that's when people do the stupid drunk things and drunk yep. driving and, and drugs and party-related accidents. And domestic yep. violence, too, I guess, is more on the weekend. I don't know. All of, all of those things, okay. yeah, absolutely. Um, the whole everything from hold my beer and watch this yeah. to um, uh, yeah, uh, vehicular trauma on the interstate because we did have a section of mountainous treacherous interstate that runs through that county as well okay um so yeah i just had to go do it you know yeah and i remember um you know i had had i guess two months of on-the-job training in the day and i still didn't feel super confident um and also you know the thing that most people don't don't think about er people think about trauma a lot and people think about accidents and people think about um, uh, cardiac to an extent, people having heart attacks, but people don't think about generally people that are sick and elderly, you know, and that that's also something that you do in the ER. That's that point of entry into the healthcare system. And so not only do you have to have all the skill set for dealing with trauma and cardiac events, but you also have to have a skill set that's basically analogous to an ICU nurse where you mm-hmm. have to understand how to use the very critical um, life-saving drugs called pressors that basically keep people's blood pressure from plummeting to the point where it's incompatible with life. And those drugs are super complicated, and you have to watch the blood pressure minute to minute, and you turn them up and down by the, uh, um, by the milligram um, on a five, sometimes 10 minute basis. So there's just so much to ER. You have to know basically everybody else's job in the hospital to do it successfully. And I had had basically two semesters of training on how to take the licensure exam. Right. Well. So, 
and I was honest to my partner when I showed up there. I was like, hey, you know, I, I don't know nothing. And she's like, yeah, and we don't have anybody else either, so you'll be better than nothing. <laughs> you know, you'll be better than what we had. Right, yeah. Because Jeez. there was supposed to be two nurses there. Jeez. Okay, and there just yeah. wasn't anybody around qualified. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, this is this is a county um, that I think uh, I think maybe maybe twenty thousand people live in this county, and then the county seat is um, a town of three thousand. Mm-hmm. Okay. And there's there's no major industry, um, and there's it, we're we're just barely to the west of the Appalachian counties where there's enough of a mine economy to kind of keep things barely rolling along. This never even had that. Okay. It's, wow. it's just kind of the wilderness. Okay. Well, it sounds beautiful. It's um. fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> um, but also, but also in the intervening 20 years has become a place where I don't want to raise my children okay. because the opioid and meth problem is so pervasive. Really? Did you see a lot of that in the, the emergency room? Daily. Daily. Um, yeah. My last two shifts there, um, I actually got sick from being in the room with two different young men that had cooked so much meth wearing the clothes that they came into the ER that um, the fumes coming off of their clothes made me physically sick. Oh, God. So you like a contact high from hell kind of. Oh, yeah. I mean, okay. Yeah, absolutely. Like funny taste in my mouth and dizziness and elevated heart rate and sweating and yeah. Okay. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah. That was, was okay. Was well, was that the breaking point, or had you already decided to move on to something else? Um. No. The the I, the breaking point was that I couldn't get off night shift. Oh, okay. It was so hard for them to put me for them for them. To you have two children. To night shift. Right. Okay. Right. And so I was basically missing out on their lives. You know, right. I would, um, uh, you know, try to switch when I where when I wasn't working, I could be awake during the day to be able to be with my family. But I was just like such a, I was such a grump um, that um, it was it was hardly even worth me being awake a lot of the time. Right. And it was really really hard on our family. I miss, I missed out on a lot during those. Uh, during those four years, really, mm-hmm. um, just from feeling like crap all the time. Yeah, I bet. Okay, so, so what? What was next? What'd you do next? Um, next was uh, coming to a. Um, we we're living in Bree at the time, so then I, I took a job uh, working in an ER in a hospital in Lexington. Okay. Um, so that's about a forty-minute drive north on the interstate every day, uh-huh. um, and it was the same thing. It was an ER. It was critically understaffed. Um, and it was 12 hour shifts, but they were day shifts. Okay. So some of them were, some of them were 11 to 11 and others were seven to seven, but it was at least during the day. So, um, it was better for my body, but honestly, the, the sort of state of emergency medicine in, um, in region right now is different in terms of small rural ER versus big city, um, corporate hospital ER. Um, Mm -hmm. I worked there for 14 months and I would work a lot of extra shifts. I'd work more than three shifts a week pretty often. And in that entire 14 month period, I worked a single shift, one shift with a full staffing pattern. Hmm. Wow. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. 
Jeez. So I burned out on that pretty quick. Yeah. Okay. Um, I also had a, um, I also had a toxic exposure in that ER as well. I was exposed to uh, carfentanil, which oh, wow. is an opioid yeah. um, that that folks around that folks around here are overdosing on. That is uh, basically ten thousand times a sh- uh, per unit stronger than morphine. Jeez. So just being in the vicinity of it, you can even be in the vicinity of it enough and catch enough of it to actually overdose. And that's happened um, uh, not too far from here in Huntington, West Virginia. Um, so how, so how that common to my burnout? Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Oh, that, that's all. Just, okay. Well, you know, how common are these, I, uh, contacts that you're talking about? These like toxic episodes. Um, there was a rash of it a couple, of, uh, a couple of years ago, but, um, I, I think right now what's going on is that the folks that import these substances are realizing that if you if you kill off your customers, um, that's bad for business. <laughs> that is bad for business, huh? Yes. Okay. We're seeing we're seeing less of that. We're still seeing overdoses. Yeah. But um, but more of the regular fentanyl. Okay. And um, and more of, of just regular heroin. Right. Okay. Okay. Um. Okay. So so you burn out from that pretty fast. It's just not for yeah. you. But uh, you're still with the nursing. You still want to. You still want to uh, be a nurse. Yeah, I ha- I'm super happy in my job right now. Okay. Um, so a lot of my experiences in um, in ER to me sort of sort of shine the light on the holes in the modern American healthcare system. And so I started thinking, well, you know, this is sort of back to our activist days. Where can I seek justice in this field? Right. And I um, started, uh, I had a friend who um, was working on a degree in getting her master's in public health. And I started talking to her about what are nursing opportunities in public health. And she's like, you know, I don't really know, but why don't you just get a job in the health department and find out? Hmm. And um, Katie, my wife, had, since we moved to Lexington, had taken a job as a school nurse. And here in Lexington, the um, school nurse program is administered by the public health department. Okay. So that was kind of my in, and she kind of kept her eye open and um, found a job posting for a nurse. And it was kind of an unclear posting, um, honestly, because it, it had so many different jobs. I didn't know what I would be doing. So it talked about working communicable disease, working with um, uh, HIV and STD patients, working in uh, a needle exchange uh, as part of a harm reduction program for opioid users, uh, working teaching community Narcan classes. And like all of these things just like sounded amazing. It all sounded exactly like solutions to so many of the problems that I kept felt like were were just dragging me down in the ER. So I went and applied and I interviewed and I got the job. And, um, mostly what I've been doing since I got that job is taking care of patients with tuberculosis. Okay. Um, public health is, is kind of underfunded, um, in this country, not kind of underfunded. It's seriously underfunded in this country. And so folks that work in health departments have generally, three or four different jobs that we all do. Okay. And um, so that's why that job description read that way. So eventually all those things that I talk about, that I talked about, I will 
be doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've already started to teach the community Narcan classes, and that's been super rewarding. Okay. And what what is um, your specific uh, title or jo- role? I am a, a communicable disease nurse specialist. Okay. Wow. Well, okay. Yep. And so right now, the vast majority of my time is spent following tuberculosis patients very closely. So if someone is diagnosed with active tuberculosis in this country, the way we treat them is through directly observed therapy. We watch them take their medicine daily, Monday through Friday, um, for a period of six to nine months. Okay. And, and so how, I drive around and I watch people take their pills. Okay. And how how prevalent is tuberculosis in well, anywhere in the U.S. today, but, but in Kentucky and Lexington? Um. We average 10 cases of active disease a year based on what I I can see looking back through the history. I've only been there six months, Mm -hmm. but that's what it looks like um, from the paperwork that I've seen. Um, But there is a a difference between tuberculosis disease, meaning that you're sick with the germ, and tuberculosis infection, meaning that you have the germ in your body. Okay. And so the public health approach to... treating tuberculosis is that not only do we treat folks that have tuberculosis disease, we also treat folks that have tuberculosis infection. Okay. The same medications can actually clear the germ from your body so that it can't grow into disease at a later time. And forgive me, this sounds like something from the past. TB. Like, right. um, yeah. And it, it's largely thought of as something from the past because in um, European countries and North America, we treat it in this way that I've just described. Yeah. Um, because we have robust public health programs. And even as funding is being rolled back in this country, um, tuberculosis service is considered to be a core public health function. Um, it's going to still be standing when um, the uh, when as many of the other public health functions have been stripped away as 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 they're trying to. Tuberculosis care will always will always be it's there. A bipartisan um, issue. It works. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it, um, it's effective and it works. Okay. Um, the thing is, you know, until um, uh, as as long as we have um, immigration to this country, we will, and as long as we have uh, refugee programs, which you know um, we always feel like are threatened. Um, but we will have folks coming into this country that are coming from places that do not have public health programs that are able to treat tuberculosis in the same way. Okay. So folks that are immigrants and refugees make up the vast majority of our cases. Okay. So you are seeing people from around the world? Um, Your patients, clients? So, sorry? Um, the way that refugee resettlement works in this country uh-huh. is that agencies – um, are generally given populations from specific regions. Okay. So here in Lexington... And how our, big is Lexington, um, Chris? Sorry. Oh, that's a good question. A uh, couple maybe, hundred thousand? Yeah, I was going to say maybe two or three hundred thousand. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, bigger than um, bigger than Athens, uh, smaller than Chattanooga. Okay. Athens, Georgia, <laughs> course, Chattanooga, Tennessee, yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, of course, your okay. listeners will, yeah. will not... <laughs> know that reference at all um but uh oh i'm sorry i lost our train of thought it's okay um uh resettlements 
Oh, yeah. yeah. So here in Lexington, our agency, which is Kentucky Refugees Ministries, um, does does an amazing job. And specifically, they are charged with settling refugees from Nepal and uh, Congo. Oh, okay. The Democratic Republic of Congo. So that is a, those are a lot of the folks that I've um, developed the relationships with and been able been able to help treat, um, both as as cases of disease and cases of infection. Okay, very interesting. Uh, wow. And um, is this? Are you still doing on your day to day job things that I would think of as what a nurse does? Are you nursing, or is it a lot of paperwork, a lot of sort of social work? Um, it's definitely tends more towards paperwork and social work. Okay. Um, I, sometimes I will see patients in the clinic and I will take histories and draw their blood and do an eye exam. But in terms of, oh, excuse me, in terms of, uh, the stuff that I used to do in the ER, you know, running around frantically with IV bags and, um, you know, putting tubes down people and all that stuff. I haven't done that in, in six months now. Yeah. But um, I know you recently, uh, after Hurricane Florence, you headed down there. So to to North Carolina, what what was that like, and how how does that apply to you being a nurse? So that goes back to what I was saying about public health um, being a, a situation where everyone has three or four jobs. Yeah. Okay. So um, public health is responsible for. Uh, preparedness coordination at least in kentucky i assume it's um not dissimilar in other states so we basically keep everything in order should there be a disaster that occurs in our region um and there's the team of environmentalists and epidemiologists and nurses and doctors and public health commissioners and all these people that meet on a regular basis to basically make sure that everything that's in place would be in place should we have a disaster occur. So since we've developed all of that infrastructure, we allow ourselves to be deployable to other regions that may need our services. Uh-huh. Okay. So there was a call that was put out by North Carolina could you send a team of public health nurses to come and staff a shelter? And so that's what we did. Okay. And this was actually the first, um, the first team that's been mobilized under um, a system that is going to be repeatable. So we, we kind of became a team on this trip and we'll be available to be deployed um, again in the future. Okay. And what was your role in this team? Um, so I was, I was a nurse and I did, did actual nursing a lot more like, um, being a hospital nurse than my, than my regular job. So we were there at the shelter, which at its, um, highest level of population was, I think around 450 people and, um, about 45 of them had, uh, medical needs. Okay. And so there were a team of nine nurses and as far as the 45 folks with medical needs, they were in uh, specifically designed cots for people that are um, either non-ambulatory or less ambulatory. And we provided uh, personal care, helped them take their medications. There was actually one family that uh, brought their dialysis machine from home because they didn't have any power at their home and they were doing dialysis okay. in the science classroom of a school. So we were assisting them with that. So um, it was kind of ordinary, I guess, I don't know if ordinary is the right word, but just 
everyday medical needs is just disrupted because of the storm. Yeah, that's very okay. well put. Um, okay. A lot of these folks were receiving home health services. Uh-huh. And, and then, you know, once their homes became um, uninhabitable, then they um, could no longer receive home health services in them. So then they came to shelter, and then there we were waiting on them. Okay, very interesting. Wow. How did you find that? Is that the first time um, you've done anything like that? It is. It uh-huh. is. I've, um, I've, this is going to sound funny, but I've been a summer camp nurse before. Katie okay. and I went and were nurses at our, at our kids' summer camp. And besides the medical needs population, um, taking care of the rest of the 300 folks or you know 400 folks that were there um, that didn't have specific medical needs, that was an awful lot like summer camp nursing. Huh. Lots of Tylenol and ibuprofen and Claritin and homesickness and um, – uh, mm-hmm. what we can, kind of came to term psychological first aid, you know, just, yeah. just listening. Okay. Um, and specifically employing active listening techniques and, and not really offering a whole lot of feedback and certainly no judgment ever. Um, but just being there because right. these people are, are so disrupted and just, just oftentimes just need someone to listen to. Sure. Okay. Okay. And do you think there'll be more instances like this for you or? Yeah. Yeah, um, unfortunately, it was a little bit controversial for me to say this to, to my team, but climate change is real. Um, right. No. And, and that should not be controversial. Yeah. Um, hurricanes are getting stronger. And as we learned in North Carolina, this was the big thing. Um, hurricanes are getting wetter. Yeah. Um, there was in, in the area that we were, um, we had to be flown in on two separate helicopter rides to make it to the shelters. And um, the shelter that we landed at was on an island in um, the county that was divided into three separate islands that were only accessible by helicopter or boat. And normally these weren't islands. Normally these right. are not okay. islands. Okay, right, yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, and uh, they, the, you know, it's a coastal county, and so they said, you know, we're used to dealing with storms. What we're not used to dealing with is is the rain, is the water. There was one section of the county that got over 40 inches of rain in less than 24 hours. Jeez, wow. Okay. Yeah, so it's just a matter of time until the next time. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. All absolutely. Right. And, and this there is data showing that there is this historical trend of um, you know increased severity of storms, but also increased um, flooding. With any storm. Right. Okay. Hmm. Very interesting. Okay. Wow. So, I mean, when you started out to be a nurse, when you're when you're studying or when you've got that first job in that first emergency room, did you ever think you'd be doing the work with tuberculosis, tuberculosis, TB patients like you're <laughs> doing now or this, uh, you know, like first responder stuff in um, – in a you know in a, a storm zone, um, the first responder stuff, yes, because okay. I had that EMS experience, and um, I which I uh, guess came in handy. I, it did, but interestingly enough, I I had this idea like going to North Carolina that I would be using a lot more of my sort of ER skills and EMS skills, uh-huh. and at the end of the day, oh, and I also had a question, like, like why public health why aren't they sending er nurses you Mm, know yeah um but i learned that shelter nursing is public health nursing because 
our main job was to monitor the entirety of the population of the shelter. Okay. And that's the public health skill. Fascinating. And we even had um, uh, an outbreak of norovirus that happened. Hmm. And because we were public health nurses, we know who to call. We knew what type of public health professionals that we needed. And we um, got those people there. And then those folks trained the environmental team that worked at the school where we were sheltered to clean using the appropriate chemicals and equipment. And that norovirus outbreak stopped at six patients. Okay, wow. So that team of custodians basically worked so hard and so well that they were able to prevent 400 400 people from having to go to the hospital. Yeah, right. Wow. Hmm. It was amazing. And so those are the public health skills that we used, okay. you know, and I just, I, I didn't know that that's yeah. what we were going there to do, but it ended up being awesome. And, you know, there were some times when I used, you know, this or that um, trick to, you know, move somebody off of a cot or whatever that the other nurses didn't know because they'd never worked EMS. But for the most part, it really was public health stuff. Right. Wow. Um, and then to answer your other question. Yes. Thank you. Um, yeah. I, um, just like you said, you know, a little bit ago. I didn't even know TB was still a thing. (laughs) Yeah, right, yeah. Yeah, I I had no idea. And I knew that, like, in nursing school and, you know, as far as our infectious disease specialists in the hospital, that they would always talk about using negative pressure rooms and using the right kinds of masks. And, you know, I think I'd taken care of one tuberculosis patient in five years of nursing, and they ended up only being – suspected and not being really sick so yeah you know it's it's super super uncommon um and the thing about it is it's not even this is gonna um it's not even really all that contagious i mean it's contagious it's as contagious as a cold but it's not dangerously contagious and so a lot of a lot of hospital nurses um will will put gowns on and face shields and all this stuff that you really don't need you have to be in pretty close and fairly prolonged contact to get tuberculosis but um the problem with it is that it's so dang hard to kill Hmm. um so you can manage it but you've got it forever uh you've got it at least for nine months oh right okay It it takes nine months of medications to kill it it's it's covered in a protein that's almost like hair or fingernail yeah um, so the medication has to break through that. And then unlike basically any other group of bacteria, it reproduces very, very slowly. And so most antibiotics work by interrupting the life cycle of a bacteria. Okay. And um, in this case, that life cycle is so long that it takes so much uh, a so much longer course of medication to, in, to interrupt the life cycle. Right. Well, okay. Well, uh, Chris, we have um... – just rushed through about 20 years of your life in about 30, <laughs> 35 minutes. So, uh, I mean, do you have any, what's next? You like where you are now? You want to go on to another phase maybe sometime? Um, I, I think I'm sold on public health. Okay. Um, I'm thinking about going and getting my master's in public health. Hmm. Um, I am super interested in the philosophy and practice of harm reduction. Okay. Um, and I think that the ideas of harm reduction are the only solution that I'm hearing in public right now um, to to working through this opioid crisis that we find ourselves in. Okay. Um, wow. And so I'm my career is moving in that direction. 
Um, I'm going to start in the needle. I hope to start in the needle exchange program within the next month. Um, and I'm uh, going to be teaching uh, a Narcan class at a local church next week. Um, and and this is kind of how the health department works. What, what kind of class is that? A Narcan class. What? Um, Narcan or naloxone is the opioid reversal drug. Okay. And so here in Kentucky, we have um, uh, a law that allows for um, bystanders to carry and give Narcan should they come across someone who is suspected to be overdosing. Okay. And so it's a, it's a nasal spray. And so we people sit through a 15-minute class, and then we actually prescribe them their own dose of Narcan. It is a prescription medication. Um, but as long as we can see your ID with an address on it, we can, we can prescribe it to you. And then you carry that Narcan around. And should you come across someone who's overdosing, then you have been given in this short 15 minute class, the skills to identify that, um, potential, and then to go ahead and give the reversal agent, which works at about four minutes. Hmm. So it is absolutely a life-saving drug. Wow. Okay. And is this a pretty common thing across the U.S. or is it uh, specific to Kentucky or? Um, it is. It, it is more and more. Okay. Um, harm reduction as a philosophy is um, somewhat controversial in um, in some law enforcement circles and um, in other in other people who who think that by giving folks clean syringes and teaching folks how to use Narcan that we're enabling drug use and that we're legitimizing drug use. And so it's catching on. Um, but it's also that there is, there is some weight of public opinion against these strategies as well. So it's, it's moving slowly. Um, it's bigger cities, more common, um, rural areas, less common. Right. Okay. Okay. Uh, wow. Okay. Um, Chris, thank you so much. <laughs> what a pleasure. Yep, I've, yeah, I've enjoyed this. Okay. Um, I might have some uh, follow-up questions for you, but uh, that was a very interesting and thorough discussion. Cool. Yes. I'm so glad. I, I loved it. Yeah, I loved it too, uh, man. More interesting and thorough discussions um, as we as we grow old together across the ocean. Yes, yes. And I hope to see you again soon, my friend. Yep, absolutely. All right. I'll be in touch soon. Cool. Take care. Thanks, Chris. That was my interview with uh, Chris about his uh, his work in Kentucky as in nursing and in public health. And now we're going to wrap things up with um, my interview with Julie, who's just now starting a career in nursing. Um, I'm going to let Julie have essentially let Julie have the last word here. So this is my my out as well. Uh, happy Thanksgiving! I hope you enjoyed this episode. It's very easy to find me, TikiChris.com or at TikiChris on Twitter. Please keep in touch. Um, this blog is, uh, this, uh, blog, this, this podcast is now about a year old, over a year old, uh, just under 50 episodes. I want to keep it going and I want to hear from you about it. So thank you very much and big thanks to Chip, Chris, and Julie. And here's Julie. Hello. Julie Palmer Hoffman. Hello. Julie. Hey, Chris. Hey, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm okay. I'm exhausted, but I'm okay. Um, yeah. Yeah? Yeah, I'm really jet-lagged. 
<laughs> you said that from Japan? Yeah, pretty, yeah, the other day, but, uh, uh, yeah, I'm still really tired from it. Yeah, but. Gotcha. It, it's good. It's good. It's fun Got though. It. Having, I had, I think I had breakfast at 2 a.m. this morning, you know, so. <laughs> yeah, so I'm, I'm gonna talk to you, and then I'm gonna okay. go to bed. Yeah. Okay. But anyway, um, I'm here in London, obviously, and I'm talking to you. You're in Connecticut, right? I am. I'm in New Haven. You are in New Haven, and you recently uh, went to a uh, school in New Haven. Is that correct, too? Yeah? The, that is accurate. Yeah. 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 So what were you studying? So you were at Yale in their nursing program, right? Yeah. Yale has a, um, a graduate nursing program, and they actually have... Um, a graduate degree in nursing typically is two years, but uh, I was not a nurse previously to this whole experience. So Yale has this program that is three years um, that's, that's aimed at people who, you know, have um, degrees in other fields, um, previous careers quite often. Um, and you go and train to be a registered nurse in the first year and then continue on for two more years, come out with your master's as a nurse practitioner. Oh, wow. Okay. And yeah. what what's the difference between a nurse and a nurse practitioner then? So in, in the U.S., um, I, I think the, the terminology may be different. I'm not quite sure if there, if there is something comparable in the U.K. But in, in the U.S., a nurse practitioner is... Um, a healthcare provider. Um, they they have kind of a broader uh, scope of practice. Like they're somewhere between a nurse and a doctor. I would say um, they can they can do a lot of the same things that docs can do. They can you know assess patients, um, order all the tests and labs and stuff that a patient might need in the workup, um, diagnose, and then um, prescribe treatment, including in most states, um, and it's very much based on, like, what state um, you're practicing in, but in most states that includes, you know, the ability to prescribe meds and and that sort of thing. So it's, you're trained, like, in the nursing model, which I think I, I thought of as a much more, like, person-based um, way of looking at patients than a disease sort of focus, which I think medicine can sometimes have. Yeah. Um, but then you can go on and, you know, do a lot of the, the same things that, um, the doctors can do. Um, obviously we're not, we're not trained to that, that in the same, with the same number of years or, um, in, to the same depth. Um, but nurse practitioners fill a lot of gaps, um, that exist in like the, the U.S. healthcare system, uh, primary care in particular. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Um, that's impressive. And before Thank we you. get to what you're doing now, because you've recently started a job, let's talk about getting to this stage where you decide you want to study to be a nurse, because we know each other from here in London. You used to live in the UK. Yeah. Uh, at the time you were studying, then uh, getting, what, a master's in literature? Yeah, yeah, in English lit. In English, English lit. lit, yeah, yeah. Yep. And uh, we were both writing uh, at a website at the same time mm -hmm. and um, doing yep. all sorts of writerly stuff. So yes. what happened where you shifted and thought, maybe I want to do something else, specifically nursing? So, 
Yeah, so it was, it was um, kind of a combination of personal and professional experience, I would say. The professional experience started in the UK. Um, I kind of fell into this job after I finished uh, my master's in English Lit that was meant to be temporary, and it was um, working for like, like a healthcare think tank is how I, I, I think of them, um, and doing some research and writing for them. Um, and one of the things that I did is I would go around to different hospitals in the UK and um, attend these meetings where um, hospital staff would talk about what it was like caring for patients and they would discuss patient cases. And, but it was very much focused on, like, you know, not how do we improve medicine necessarily or, like, the, the specifics of a patient's case in terms of, like, physical outcome. It was more based on, like, like the discussion was more around how does it, how does it feel to be caring for patients who are dying or how does it care? How does it feel to, um, you know, be lied to by a patient who was drug seeking and, and, you know, gave, gave you a bunch of, um, stories about why they needed a certain medication. You know, like it was kind of more based on the, the psycho social, um, issues that come up in um, caring for patients. So I would attend these meetings and write up case studies as part of this research this group was doing. Um, and it was my first exposure to the hospital, really. Um, and it was just fascinating. And I was really struck at the time by um, how how challenging the work was, how complicated these cases were, um, but also how typically how gratified um the, the staff were, the doctors and the nurses and social workers and everybody else, um, to be able to care for patients in that way. So that was my first kind of introduction, you know, while I was mm-hmm. still living in the UK. Um, and But I, I was still very much, like, on the same trajectory that I had gone to the UK on, which was, you know, I'm going to continue in publishing and then focus on, on writing and editing, um, which was where my... my original career had been um centered um so then my visa my work visa situation got a little bit complicated but ultimately what ended up happening was my my mom got sick she was diagnosed in 2011 with um cholangiocarcinoma or bile duct cancer which is a pretty rare cancer and has a pretty crappy prognosis in most cases from from the get-go um, so I, whereas I had originally been thinking about with the visa situation, maybe splitting my time between the U.S. and the U.K. and, and just, you know, being very, um, mobile wherever I needed to go to, to kind of make things work with my freelance work, um, right. that, that brought me back, back home and home was Connecticut and, um, <laughs> Uh, you know, we knew we were facing like this life changing sort of diagnosis with her. Um, and so she was sick for three years. Uh, she was treated here in Connecticut, um, at a, a, one of the big cancer hospitals, um, received really outstanding care. Her nurses in particular were just, I mean, her, her doctors were amazing, but you know, it's the nurses who I found who made the, the difference day to day and it was the nurses that that our family really connected with um during her care um and so she was sick for three years um during some of that she had good quality of life and some of it i would say it was you know pretty challenging chemo's a a nasty 
uh, treatment to go through. Yeah. Um, so she, she actually, she passed away in 2014. Mm. Um, and it was actually, there were a few points during her sickness where people, you know, I, I, I stayed in the area, bounced back and forth between a little apartment and my parents' house to, um, go to a lot of her appointments with her and, um, keep her company when she got really weak. Um, and, you know, there were times when, like, some family members observed me involved in her care and um, commented that, you know, ooh, that, that could be a second career for you, Julie. Like, what's, what's going on? You thinking about becoming a nurse? And I just dismissed it. And really? actually, her, her, her chemo nurse had commented, had made the same comment to me at one point when we were at one of her chemo uh, appointments one day. Uh, she, she had this one particular device that she needed help with at home and the nurses at the um, cancer center didn't do it so often so I actually ended up educating her nurse about how we it was we did this this procedure and and she commented on it and you know I was like I dismissed it I was like no this is this is like labor of love this is not um a career change for me but as time went on actually the, the light bulb had had went off you know I, I think I was looking starting to look for a new direction at that point anyway freelancing as a, an editor and writer um was was getting more challenging and it just wasn't as fulfilling for me mm-hmm. um and I just you know observed what was going on with um my mother's providers her doctors her nurses the nurse practitioners and I thought yeah actually Maybe this is something that I want to transition into. And so before she died, she actually did know that I was planning on going back to, to school and um, aiming to become a nurse. Uh, she didn't get to see right. me actually, you know, apply to programs and, and get in and start on that process. But I think she she knew that's, that's where I was headed. And so, so that is the story behind how I decided to make that massive career change. I mean, you know, like, like you said, I had a master's in English lit. I had, like, no science background before doing this. I'd never once thought about a career in, in healthcare or medicine. Um, so it was, it was a pretty dramatic change. Mm, yeah. Well, well, thank you very much for sharing that. I know something, similar things have been happening, happened to me this year and I, yeah, I know it's, yeah. it's, it's good to share it, but not easy to share it. So thank you yeah. very much. Of course. Yeah. Um, another thing. Well, one thing I'm curious about, just in you telling that and telling it so eloquently, are you still writing at all, journaling or anything? Yeah. So, you know, one of the things that actually attracted me to Yale was that they 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 put a lot of emphasis on kind of um, training us with. Um, I don't know, alternative methods, not, not, not alternative methods, that's not the right, but the right word, but they, they drew in the arts and humanities in whatever way they could to help us, um, especially those of us who didn't have a science background, I think, um, connect in different ways with, with the learning. Um, and, and one of the things that they encouraged was narrative nursing, you know, the, the practice of journaling and reflecting on, um, on what we were learning as we, we're going because it is such a dramatic um, transition to, be, to go from being a non-nurse to being a nurse. Um, they brought us to the Yale Art Gallery and we we examined paintings in a different way to you know ramp up our physical assessment skills. Like there were there were some pretty cool things that they 
had us do. We actually had a conductor um, who had created these arrangements um, to help de- develop our, our ears to be able to better understand the distinction between different lung sounds and heart sounds and, you know, stuff like that. So that, that was pretty cool. Um, so that, that element of the program attracted me to it um, in the first place, actually. Um, but yeah, I, I tried to, and I, it got away from me in the, in, in the end as school just ramped up. I didn't reflect and um, journal on it all as much as I would have liked to. Um, done a little bit of academic stuff associated with it, you know, mm-hmm. helping um, professors that I've worked with, you know, develop some of their research into journal articles and that sort of thing. But, but the creative side of, you know, um, my work in the past has definitely gotten away from me a little bit. I would like to get back to it. And we'll okay. see. All right. yeah, yeah. Well, I hope so. Um, yeah. Was there a learning curve? Was it really difficult learning to be a nurse, going to Yale? Yeah, <laughs> it was. It wore. It was exhausting. It wore me down. I mean, it was so. You know, it's it's pretty amazing when you look back at. Um, you know, like three years ago, I had just started the, the program and was working so hard to kind of master, you know, the pathophysiology and um, pharmacology and, you know, all, all these different things that were just, it was it was learning a different language, essentially. Um, and especially once you get into the hospital and you start, you know, going through patients' charts and notes and, you know, doctors are notorious for, um, these basically foreign language notes that you can't even begin to interpret, even though you're speaking the same language because of um, the scientific jargon and the abbreviations and everything like that. So it really, there was a pretty steep learning curve. It really was like learning, you know, in a foreign land at times, it felt like. Right. And I'm curious about the student body. I mean, a real mix of ages and personal stories or yeah definitely um so i think that when when i came into the program they said that the average age was like 29 or something so maybe 28 29 um so i got a bit i was you know seven or eight years older i think um Mm -hmm. than my average classmate but there there were a range of people you know who there were some that, that a few who came right from undergraduate who just maybe went to, to university um, not knowing what they wanted to do and then discovered it partway through, didn't have the option of doing the nursing degree at that point and decided to continue on. Um, and then there were a lot of people like me who were just had, had been in other fields and for through whatever path that they came um you know, kind of stumbled on the realization that they wanted to to go into this um, into this field, and it was cool because it was there are a number of different specialties. So you come in having declared, you know, what it is you're going to focus on. Um, so you could do primary care, you could do pediatrics. Um, there was we have midwifery and women's health program. Um, I was in the acute care um, and adult gerontological care program was very much based on um around critical care and icus and stuff like that Mm -hmm. um so again people were coming in for like with a broad 
range of interests and, and backgrounds and previous experiences. And yeah, it was, it was a pretty diverse um, student body. I really like remember our first year when we were, we would have all these different clinical rotations together and we would always get mixed up into a different group each time we rotated. And typically with each new rotation, you know, we'd all go around and say what our backgrounds were. And I was just always so impressed and grateful, um, impressed by my classmates and grateful to be there with them because they, they all just had these crazy stories that were like amazing, um, what they had done previously and why it was they were, you know, driven to go back to school and, and do this degree. So, um, so that was pretty cool. Amazing. Okay. So, yeah. you, so you, so you, you finished the program. Congratulations. And you, you have now, how recently have you started your job? So I haven't actually started the new, new job. I just okay. like literally accepted that in the last oh. couple of days. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah, but no, so I've been working as a hospice nurse um, oh, wow. at the bedside for about a year and a half now. Oh, okay. Um, so that that's in, in my capacity as, as a registered nurse. So very much, you know, at the bedside, um, hands-on care, um, you know, with a patient um, for 12 hours of, of their day, basically, um, providing you know, whatever support I can, um, as they approach the end of life. Um, and then in my, my, the role that I've just accepted is going to be as a palliative care nurse practitioner. So I'll I'll be, be transitioning into that, um, kind of larger, broader scope of practice role that I I went to get my master's for. And that'll be at at the hospital. Um, and you know, palliative care, yeah, in New Haven, and, and palliative care um, is again a bit broader than than hospice. You know, hospice over here in the states. I, I think palliative care may have a slightly different meaning in, in the UK, in that it's maybe more focused specifically on end of life care. But in the states, palliative really just means any kind of supportive care, typically given to patients with or offered to patients with um, any kind of life limiting illness you know okay. any kind of serious serious diagnosis sort of easing so, the pain right yeah exactly okay. exactly and it's very team-based and focused like it's a very like holistic type of care and that you know the, the palliative care team is made up of doctors nurse practitioners nurses social workers chaplains you know it's it's like trying to attend to all the different um challenges that a patient may face when they're um, diagnosed with, with something serious, you know, whether it's um, the psychological distress, the physical distress of the of the disease and, or, or the, the treatment for that matter, or um, the spiritual distress, you know, it, it's, it's very much trying to attend to kind of everything that's going on with, with that person and their family as right, well. Right. So, so that's that's what I'm going to be transitioning into, hopefully in the next few months or so. Okay, wow. Yeah. And so you'll be working with actual individuals still, or something yeah, different? Yeah. So it, I mean, it'll be a little bit different, and then I won't be, you know, at the bedside of, of like of a, a small group of patients every day. I'll, I'll I'll be seeing a much larger number of patients, um, and you know, not not in that intensive sort of way. I'll be um, likely consulted by different teams in the hospital who 
you know, have identified a palliative care need and feel like they need a little bit of extra support or, I'll, you know, eventually I'll probably have my own patients, too, who um, are outpatient and maybe receiving treatment for their cancer, for example, and are having a lot of pain and, you know, need some pain management help or some other kind of um, troubling symptoms, you know, that they need support with. Um, so I could potentially be seeing patients on an outpatient basis, too. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Do you like that interaction with patients, that one-on-one -on -one oh time? God. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's like, it's totally the thing that makes this amazing and worth it. it, it it's the thing that, like, makes the job, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and with, with their families, too, you know, it, it's hospice and palliative care very much, again, focused on, like, not just the patient, but, like, everybody who surrounds them and supports them, too. Um, so, yeah, it's, it, it's pretty amazing. Like, it's, people often, say something about, you know, oh my god, I could never do hospice care, I don't know how you do that, but I think if more people were exposed to it, um, they they would understand, I don't know, I just think there's something like so gratifying about being able to support people um, when they're so vulnerable that way, um, it's, it's just really a gift for me as well, you know, to to be let into people's lives in these difficult moments. So I'm sure you're good at that. Wow. So oh, thank you. That's gotta be as gratifying as it is, it's gotta be exhausting and devastating as well. Am I, am I right? Yeah. I mean so so right. So I haven't I haven't been doing it full time yet. You know, I've been um in Kind of basically part-time as a hospice nurse as I was finishing up school. Um, I've definitely increased my hours since graduating, but but no, I, I haven't been doing it to day in, day out, um, you know, 40 hours a week, every week. Um, so I, I haven't, haven't experienced, you know, I, I come home emotionally drained some days, certainly, and there, there are definitely days where I come home and just replay the events of the day did I make the right decision and giving that medication when I did or treating that symptom when I did did I wait too long were they comfortable um you know there, there's a lot of kind of um recapitulation of the day's events that um it can be challenging to to turn turn that part of your brain off um and let it go when you when you leave work definitely so I anticipate you know that that's going to be a challenge when I move into this new position um but I'm also going to be working with a pretty big team uh, of people who I think are that's what they're they're like the team supports each other as well you know right. to, to talk through those difficult decisions and um interactions and and help you kind of grow in the role and um, move through it, you know, be able to con continue to do it day in and day out. Right. Well, and you see this as the career for you and just moving on as, as yeah, yeah, I really, I think so. Oh, hello. Sorry. Just getting another phone call oh, right okay. there. Um, I, I, I can imagine, um, you know, expanding or maybe wanting to, to grow with it at yeah. some point. Like I, 
there's a there's a big need for um, nurse educators. You know, I, I could could envision um, doing something with writing or teaching, but but yes, staying focused on palliative care um, okay. and making that sort of my my focal point. And and if I may ask, was that the part of what you saw happening with your mom that was most important to you? Yeah. Um, <laughs> she received absolutely amazing care um, at, at, at the cancer hospital. But actually, I, I mean, she didn't receive her first palliative care consult until three days before she died, um, which is not how palliative care should be done. I mean, palliative care should be really introduced at the, at, at the diagnosis of, of, especially of a, a terminal cancer or a stage four cancer. Right. Um, I think I mean, the, the field is very new. These teams at hospitals here in the States are, are growing and have grown even. When you say like very new, how new do you mean? I mean, like, palliative medicine, I think, didn't become a board-certified specialty until, I, I, I'm not sure off the top of my head, but either the late 90s or early 2000s. Oh, okay, wow, yeah, know? right. So the, the specialty has been there, but, like, like the certifications that, like, these nurses can get in it and doctors can get in it, like, the, those are all pretty new. You know, it, it's it's a specialty and the research is all relatively new. I mean, it's probably in the last 15 years, you know, that and it really kind of grew up alongside um, or within oncology. Um, it's really probably only been in the last 15 years or so that a lot of the, the national cancer um, society groups have said, have looked at palliative care and said, yes, this should absolutely be a part of patient's care and we should be integrating it into their care earlier early on in their their illness trajectories so you know i mean my mom was diagnosed in 2011 it's seven years ago now i mean the the team um the palliative care team that existed at that hospital when she was treated there has has grown since then and probably was still pretty understaffed and under-resourced so um you know it's not that i think there was any like neglect or anything like that in her care but I just think that there were like certain discussions that weren't had with her oncology team um, about it was very much focused on treatment and um, less on what the treatment is doing to her quality of life and you know we never had discussions about whether if she went into the hospital she would want to be resuscitated in the, you know, like receive chest compressions and have uh, a breathing tube stuck down her throat, which I now know um, for, for cancer patients, especially cancer patients with advanced stage cancer, people don't often survive those interventions, you know, um, so the fact that, I mean, and she was still a full code, meaning she still would have received all of that stuff um, up until three days before she died, and at which point we finally had a palliative care consult. And the palliative care nurse practitioner, um, you know, encouraged us to, to think about that and realize that at where she was in her illness, um, receiving CPR was not going to 
to do her any good. It was probably going to do more harm on the way out, you know? So there were were just just discussions and and considerations like that that I I didn't think um, the oncology team did the best job um, addressing in her care. Um, And the the more I started reading about the field, um, the more it just made, like, total sense to me that that this was a a gap in a lot of patients care um and you can you can understand why it happens you know now that i've gone through this training and and seen um the the challenges that um doctors and nurses and everybody face when they're treating a seriously ill patient like those are really just different difficult discussions to have and you're often having those discussions under high duress you know, when a patient comes in and they're crashing and you've got to make a fast decision about what you're going to do next. Like I, or you've never met the patient before and, and now you're going to have a discussion with them about their end of life wishes. You know, it's, it's challenging stuff. Um, but I, I, I think that it's something that we can, we can definitely do better with. Yeah. Yeah. I remember, I mean, this was years ago. My dad died probably to its, uh, 17 years ago, um, uh-huh. I was already living here, and so I had very limited experience with the with the doctors and stuff, but I remember once right. going, and um, yeah, there's like the doctor just sort of laid everything out, and this one sort of blurt of a statement of what was going to happen, and it just, it was like he just punched, it was me, my mom, and my dad, it was just like he just slapped through all three of us at once, you know? And, yeah. 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 I mean, he didn't tell us anything we didn't know, right. but, it, and I guess for him, he's, you know, I, I don't know, but I, I, I hear what you're saying. It resonates with my experience. Yeah. That, I mean, how much better would it have been if, you know, um, I, I can't, I can't remember Chris, but whether your dad had been sick for a while prior to that. Point. Yeah. 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 How, cancer. Yeah. It, right, it took right. a while. Yeah. Right. So how much better would it have been if, like, he'd been working, somebody had been working with your family, you know, every few weeks, every time he went in for treatment or he had a doctor's appointment or something to to just check in and see how his symptoms were managed and see how he was feeling about the treatment that he was receiving and, you know, start to work with, with him about what what his care should look like and, like, what, what he would want to happen, if anything, if the shit hit the fan, you know, yeah. like... Um, so that you would have a relationship with, with those people beforehand so that when you have to have those really difficult discussions, like you know each other and you know what, um, the patient and family's, uh, values are, priorities are, and, you know, it, it, and they trust you, you know, it, it makes it a lot easier to, to have those discussions. I mean, they're, they're still painful, obviously, like it's, it's never going to, not suck or not hurt to um, to be in that situation, but I, I hope that it takes a little bit of the sting out of it to at least have some kind of prior um, understanding of and relationship with you know the people who are trying to help you um, make those decisions in a really difficult time. Yeah, well, um, that's that's a beautiful note to end on, Julie. Um... Thank you so much for the thoughtful conversation. Yet again, a great conversation with you. Thank you. And I You're think welcome. it's, you know, I think it's amazing what you do. So, so that's awesome too. Thanks for your time.
I appreciate it, Chris. Yeah. It's good chatting with you yeah. as always. We will catch okay. up again soon. Thank you. Sounds good. Take care. Bye. Bye. Thank you.